The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Let's Get Radical is brought to you by Avalara, sales tax automation for businesses of all sizes. Visit us on the web at avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. Welcome to the business show that will change the way you look at your business practice, your organization, and yourself. This is Let's Get Radical with Liz Gold and Jody Paydar. On today's show, you'll get the straight scoop on what it means to be radical and how it can help you become the next success story. Now, here are your hosts, Jody and Liz. Hey, Liz, are you ready? Oh my God, Jody, you know I am. Let's get radical. It's amazing that we're here and, you know, it's becoming the end of the fall. We're moving into winter time, aren't we? I know. And we're going to be talking about one of the things that I love to talk about today. And that is experiences and how cool are like all the experiences changing in like this whole um, world, right? Like how you go into Starbucks and and now everyone expects everything to, to have that perfect experience. So I want to ask you, Liz, what is your favorite experience? Oh, wow. That's, that's a tough one. But I have to say, you know, my favorite experience as a customer would be at Amelia's shop in Portland, Oregon. I, we actually had Amelia on um, as a guest earlier in the summer. And, um you know, it's just a really cool shop. She's a dressmaker. She has all um, l- like USA made uh, other dress, ma- you know, other outfits, dresses, clothing. Um, you know, and I remember, <laughs> I remember how you said that she had shoes in the dressing room, and I thought that was cool. Yes, she does. She had shoes in the dressing room because you know when you're trying on a dress, you might not have heels with you, and sometimes you just want to try it on with some nice shoes. And you know, there's good music, and she's got this cute little dog, and like you know, there's funky things on the wall. Like there's like you know uh, a map, a globe of the world. It's just it's like a really it's just a really cool. It's definitely not like shopping in a department store. It's like going into a very um, nice boutique that's like my style. So I really, I really dig it a lot. And yes, I did just say dig. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you? So my favorite store, you're going to laugh, is GameStop. All right. Like video GameStop, right? Like where, and the reason it's my favorite store is because I'm like that dumb mom who um, has to buy all the video games for their son and my son, Jimmy, it's his favorite store. And they've always, like, welcomed me in there. And I've never felt stupid, even though I have no idea um, what they're doing, right? And then I remember when, like, the Pokemon games were coming out, how we used to be able to go to GameStop to get free Pokemon. Now, what a marketing trick that was, because, like, my son would make us go get the free Pokemon there. And then, of course, we would buy the $60 <laughs> video game. So, <laughs> oh, it worked. Whatever they were doing, it worked. Yeah, it totally worked. But 
they were always so nice to me and honestly to my son, which made me want to come back and, and buy my video games from them instead of from Target. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's amazing how small stores can really change the experience and make people want to shop there. And and now I think the bigger issue is for our small business owners who are listening is how do they create experiences for their customers? Because every day, more and more people are demanding a better experience, right? They, they want that super special experience and it doesn't matter how big or how small your store is, but but there's a new expectation in the world. And I think that's a hard expectation to fulfill. So, um, so yeah. yeah, so that's where we're at. But we're really lucky today because we have like the master of customer experience on and he's going to help us um, kind of distill it and uh, tell our small business listeners what they need to do and, and how they can do it to get experience into their businesses. So I'm going to um, give a brief introduction to our guest today, who is Brad Smith, and he is the founder and president of his consulting, Vector, and he used to work for Semantic, Yahoo, and Sage as their COO or their CMO, and that's actually where I know him from. I was on the Sage um, RV Listens tour with him, so I got to meet him and, and really um, get to know him there. But he is like all things customer experience, and he is going to tell us how marketing is changing um, into the experience world. So without any further ado, I'm going to let Brad tell us a little bit more about himself and his new role in his consulting and take it from there. Thanks for being with us, Brad. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited about this topic, and I, I love talking about small businesses. So this is a, a double double bonus for me. Woohoo! We love that. Good. <laughs> um, a little bit about myself. Uh, I've been in helping customers and in customer supporter service uh, since way back in '96, and uh, kind of got involved in the customer experience side of things and thinking about that entire customer life cycle and all the things a customer does through the marketing phase and the sales phase and the purchase and onboarding phase, and then. Ultimately, in every business, there's there's an opportunity for a return purchase or a return or a renewal of a subscription, and uh, how does that whole thing work? And I started at work at Symantec back in 2007 and got to uh, go to Yahoo and be their VP of customer experience from 2009 to 2012, and then had the opportunity to come to uh, Sage and was with Sage from 2012 to 2015. And after running massive international customer experience programs for very, very large companies and being a proven practitioner in that space, um, I realized that I had some skill sets that uh, were kind of unique and interesting. And after taking a short sabbatical uh, with my family, um, last September and October, I started doing some freelance work. And in January, I went ahead and incorporated uh, Vector Business Navigation, Inc., and it's, you know, just me and, and my wife and I'm um, helping out uh, companies all around the world with their customer experience problems. And it's uh, an amazing lifestyle and I feel great because I get to help businesses treat their customers better. And oftentimes the only way to do that is to treat their employees better. And uh, it, it's just, you know, it's that kind of thing that motivates a small entrepreneur to want to get up out of bed in the morning and do great work. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving my life right now. I'm very, very blessed. 
And so how did you decide to go out on your own? Like, I mean, you know, you were working for major, major companies. What, was there a certain um, catalyst that sort of told you it was time to strike out on your own? Well, I, I, I think it has to do with the way I grew up. I, I had a paper out at 14 and kept it for five years. And then when I was 19, I got a job at a small general aviation airport in Merritt Island, Florida, and worked my way up. Uh, to be the general manager of the place with, uh, you know, 17 employees and kind of a flight school sort of thing. So in my early 20s, I kind of had the small business entrepreneurial bug. And to be honest with you, it kind of scared me off. I mean, I, like, I understood what it meant to run a small business. I understood what it meant to be closing your books on Monday night and thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to hit payroll on Thursday. And that kind of constant always on pressure. Uh, spooked me for a lot of years from thinking about running my own business. But when we did the uh, Sage Listens RV tour and we got to talk to, you know, 150 customers all across the United States and we continued that tradition year after year visiting customers, um, I got inspired. I got really inspired. And I realized that um, the types of things that you have to help a business see, they cannot see if they're inside the company. Oftentimes they have to look as a customer would, right, outside in. And when you have those painful conversations and you're trying to teach them, this maybe isn't quite right and you could do this a lot better and this is a big pain point. And, in fact, if you fix these things, your business would run far more efficiently. And if you could come up with better processes and policies, your employees would be happier, which would instantly generate happier customers. Those kind of messages, come to find out, are much more easily heard if it's from somebody who's been in their shoes before but now it's on the outside versus trying to fight that battle on the inside. Um, so, you know, I think that I think that was the big spark for me. And so how did you end up getting your first client or customer? customer? I didn't know that I wanted to do this, and I've been very active in Customer Experience Professional Association, CXPA, and I had the opportunity to speak at a luncheon in Southern California in, uh, I guess, uh, early September of 2015. And I was co-presenting with Jean Bliss, who's a fairly famous customer experience author who just released her new book, uh, The Chief Customer Officer 2.0. So she told her story, and then I told my story of transformation um, that we had done at Sage. And during that conversation, it was obvious that a lot of the stuff she wrote about in her chapters, I had lived through and could tell stories from firsthand. Following that, um, I had a uh, VP of customer experience who worked for a uh, very large international uh, payroll uh, processing company come up to me and ask if I'd be willing to speak at a leadership offsite with his group president uh, in three weeks. And so I said, yeah, sure, we could do that. So we ended up spending uh, three to four hours together with his executive team. And the next thing you know, I accepted a freelance opportunity to uh, be a virtual chief customer officer, an interim chief customer officer, working three to four days a week, and did that for three to four months, helping get their program up and running. So it really kind of fell out of the sky. And it was a very, you know, there's a whole otherworldly story on the backside of that, but we'll save that for for later. But that, that was my first client. And the second one, Came a week later, exactly the same way. A colleague that I'd worked with through Forrester, which is a big customer experience uh, think board, 
uh, reached out to me and said if I was willing to do some freelance work, and that's how the ball kind of got started. Wow, fantastic! And so, so you know how how what have your clients been like now? Or I mean, do you use the word client or do you use the word customer? I guess that's the that's the big question. <laughs> client or customer? Um, I like to call them friends. Um, okay, and, that's nice. You know, um, I'm trying to be the best mentor and pal I can. Uh, yeah. I have a customer in Hong Kong who's uh, one of the largest insurance companies in Southeast Asia, growing uh, probably 15, 20% year over year. And their fast-paced growth is uh, dependent upon everybody living their brand intention and everybody getting customer experience. So they're trying to infuse it across six different countries, and I'm helping out their chief customer officer to do that. Um, I'm working with uh, AARP and helping them with uh, new member uh, onboarding and some experience issues there. And I've helped out uh, local uh, in my zip code, uh, Paul Mirage School of Business, UC Irvine. Um, I've assisted them with some of their strategy work. So the customers are kind of finding me. I didn't really stand at my website until probably April. And mm-hmm. um, it's been a, a very strange word of mouth, but it's very much a pay it forward. Every customer I help and you know, ripples that that puts out into the universe triggers a reflection back. And um, doing work that you believe in and practicing it ruthlessly and having it work out for you is, again, incredibly, incredibly rewarding and, and uh, mysterious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about, you know, the customer experience and what kind of transformation you're providing for, for your customers and your friends when we come back from our break. So stay sure. tuned. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting, visit rhinogirlmedia.com. Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at Avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit newvisioncpagroup.com today for more information. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Paydar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-790. You may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. You're listening to Let's Get Radical. I'm Liz Gold, and I'm here with Jody Paydar, and we're talking to Brad Smith today. He's the founder and president of Vector Business Navigation, um, and he is a customer experience, customer success, transformation consulting provider. I, I love that. I read that, and I was like, wow. So so what does that mean to you, Brad? And, and you know, what are some of the transformations that you're providing uh, your customers? Sure. You know, one of the things that I think we all have to realize is that businesses of any size that have been around for anywhere from, you know, let's say three to 30 years, they, they are the way they are for a really good reason, right? Um, mm-hmm. Business is a constant trade-off of, you know, expense and debt and revenue and customers and growth and employees and capabilities and resources. And so a lot of times as a company moves through its growth stages, um, it starts to make some trade-offs. And those trade-offs most typically are this idea of specialization, right, and creating departments and divisions and silos so that you can drive great efficiencies and help the bottom line and improve profitability, et cetera. Um, When I was helping out a lot of small businesses earlier in my career, I always saw this kind of stair-step moment of, you know, going from zero employees to five or six, and then jumping to 25, and then suddenly jumping to 150. And somewhere in that, I would call it 45 to 90 employee range, you now start to have to seriously delegate um, specialties to a lot of people. And the second you get into, you know, mid-market-sized businesses of 500 and above, you're really focused on those internal metrics, those internal operational goals that you're trying to drive. And that's how you know that your business is healthy. So, you know, as long as the revenue's there and as long as the, you know, cost to acquire is managed appropriately and as long as the cost to serve is, you know, within a particular uh, level or bar, you know, people sit there and they kind of think, okay, everything's great. But the big problem is a lot of times businesses are not thinking about customers as um, their greatest asset. Um, that's, a, that's a quote from Gene Bluff, actually. Customers, when you acquire them, there's a payback period just to break even on the money you spent to bring that customer in the door. Uh, we did a lot of um, Haas School of Business, UC Berkeley when I was at Yahoo, Paul Mirage School of Business, UC Irvine when I was at Sage, and we studied our new customers and how we adopted them, and the same things came out again and again. Whatever those brand new customers do in the first three to six weeks of life typically will be the only thing they do for the next three to six years. So you have this very early period to imprint all the right behaviors of how you'd like your customers to treat you and demonstrate what you are willing to do for your customers and to kind of live your brand promise and help them realize the value that they saw when they became your customer. 
So that focus on early onboarding is a big deal, but equally important is engagement and retention. And so a lot of times businesses aren't looking at that first year of life. They're not looking at the early signatures of what would be a hallmark of a successful customer behavior set. They're not thinking about that first year renewal or celebrating those anniversaries. And they're not thinking about the cost of churn. And when those customers walk away and talk to all the other customers out there about the good or bad experiences that they have. So a lot of times it's about mapping that customer journey, walking their shoes, being a secret shopper, trying to get done those things that need to get done, and having the internal uh, leaders of the company kind of feel that. It's about encouraging them to go out and actually talk to real customers. And if it's a B2B business, go out to those customers' businesses and talk to those customers. But most importantly, it's about turning on those, they call it voice of customer listening posts, and hearing, are your customers happy? And happy mm-hmm. is different than satisfied. And happy and leads to loyalty, and loyalty leads to great things. Um, so do we, do we really understand why our customers are loyal? Do we really understand what a great customer looks like, and how would we know one when we see one? And do we understand that those kind of customers don't just fall out of the sky? They're created through a persistent relationship that's governed by your brand intention, you know, and your, your brand is basically who do you want to be when you grow up? Why are you so unique in the marketplace? What's your secret? And is that um, exponentially harder now that we have like online and offline brand together or is it just different? It's, you know, it's, it's, it's slightly harder because there's no room to hide a bad experience. Mm. Right, a company's company's actions always betray its intentions. And if you say, you know what, we are about selling you the most products possible. If you're a customer of our bank, and even if you don't want these products, we're still going to attach them to your account, and you're going to pay a small fee, but you're going to enjoy our bank, and it's going to be great. That's one thing that Wells Fargo could have said. But they didn't. Right. They said a very high brand intention and a very strong brand campaign about how great a bank they are, how focused they are on honest and trustworthiness and being a champion of small businesses, but yet their behaviors are now out there. And so that's the other thing. You know, a lot of companies think, well, I'm going to hide my 1-800 number because I, I, I want to bring down the cost of calls into the call center. We oh, my God, I hate that. When I can't find a 1-800 Google, number, right, that's terrible. Right. I hate that. Yeah, Sorry don't, to interrupt. Don't, don't hide. <laughs> I'm going to find your secret number. I'm going to find your secret discount code. I live in the world of 2016. I have the entire world's information in my pocket. So right. this notion that you can pretend to be one thing and then act to be a different thing, that's, I think, the big wake-up call, and that's why I've got a lot of business knocking at my door. Yeah, and you're working with large global companies, right? So they to to help them transform the the experience for their customers, right? Like or and or whatever else they need in terms of like the, the problems that they're facing, which I'm sure are many and great. The, 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 what's what's happening with these companies is is that suddenly they're hitting a wall where the growth mm-hmm. isn't happening, the market share isn't happening, the profitability isn't happening. Um, they decided to kick off a massive transformation and restructure the company and segment or, you know, consolidate its product lines and suddenly want to cross-sell every product to every customer or um, perhaps 
change their core business models and, and move into a subscription or a rental model versus the ownership model. And when they make that massive transformation and everything changes internally, oftentimes it shows where all the brittleness is in their internal operations. You know, for years, they've had really bad policies that have really victimized a particular set of customers, but nobody ever really knew it. Nobody ever really felt it. And it was kind of isolated to one singular part of the business. But now that you're transforming the business and you're trying to be more customer-facing and focused and you're trying to sell everything to every customer, there's more opportunity for everybody to see this big, ugly problem that's probably been lurking for a number of years. And so that's often times when they've been trying to push that rock up a hill for two or three quarters or even two or three years that they realize, okay, we, we really need to hit the reset button and look carefully at what's happening here and then go slow to go fast. And so that's typically the kind of work that seems to find me. And now when you're like an experience officer versus a marketing officer, like what's the difference between the two or their complementary roles or how do people really understand what experience is versus what marketing is? Oh, yeah, that's easy. Um, I would say of the people currently sitting in a customer experience role today, um, easily two-thirds came from a marketing background. Um, mm. Probably half of the last third came from support or service, and then the others are from product lines or product leaders or that sort of thing. Um, the big difference is, is that when you're in marketing, you typically have a big focus on brand and what the company stands for. You're focused on PR and communications and, you know, events and that sort of thing. Oftentimes, you're the uh, owner of or certainly the facilitator of your new customer demand generation mechanisms, but you're really kind of hyper-focused on the front end of that customer lifecycle. And, you know, uh, as a customer comes through that life cycle and they engage in the sales team and then from there they start to use your product or your service and over time they might need some assistance and help and they use your help services or they might use your partner network and they, they leverage the assets of your partner network. At some point in the course of that first three months or the first three years, they take a decision to renew their commitment to you and so there's a whole renewal side. And then at some point, if you're really lucky, you've got really compelling products and services, and they want to buy more. That entire life cycle, every single touch point in that life cycle, that's what an experience officer worries about. And when I use the word touch point, let me be super clear. The second that you read a magazine article that has one of your ads in it, the thing that prompts them to touch and go to your website and explore if they click for more information, they give you their email, that information that comes to their email then. The first letter that comes to their desk, the first phone call that they occur, when they actually physically start to use that product or service, all of those are touch points. And so anytime a customer is coming to us and they intend to do something, they're trying to get something done, they're trying to go from point A to point B, um, I use uh, QuickBooks online, and so when I'm trying to process my invoice for, for, for one of my friends, um, I'm trying to get that activity done. I'm trying to get that thing done. And as I'm doing that interaction, either with the software or the cloud or an agent or a chat person on the other side of the chat line, I'm experiencing the expectation being realized or not realized as I go into that interaction. So my perception is I can bang out an invoice in two minutes flat. Not a problem. And as I start to do the invoice, 
I realize, ooh, there's some things here I don't know, and there's some other fields i got to figure out, and I'm not quite sure how to catalog this thing, and so now my expectation is being threatened. In that threatening moment, as I'm trying to figure this thing out, if the software can intuitively know what I'm doing and suggest, hey, do you need a new category code? Hey, I see your customer is based in Hong Kong. Do you need a tax code for that? And that pleasure of having that over-expectation being realized creates a very positive memory in my memory banks. Um, if I knock it out in two minutes, then my memory is, it always takes two minutes. Man, I love the software. But if suddenly I realize this isn't going to happen, I'm on the phone for 20 minutes on hold waiting to talk to somebody. When I talk to them, they're not very helpful. Nobody can seem to help me with my problem. That's going to paint a very, very negative impression in my memory. And so custom experience, simply put, is great customer experience equals your perception of that interaction minus the expectation you had times the emotion that it generated. And the emotion is a force generator. And because we all survived the dinosaurs and living caves and now we're fully evolved human beings, um, there's that lizard brain inside of all of us, and it remembers bad things because bad things can kill you, and it remembers bad things much longer than good things, you know? And just if you're, if any of you are in a relationship out there, as I'm sure many of you are, you know, if you, if you really upset your partner, it's going to take 10 to 12 really great things to get things back to normal. And so it's kind of that simple. And that kind I love of that. idea of all of those touch points and all those interactions, and every time I use, you know, QuickBooks, I'm building a memory of do I love Intuit, do I like Intuit, is Intuit okay, am I getting good money for my subscription? Every time I use that software, it's imprinting in my mind my loyalty to that product. Yeah, it's so true. That's so true. We're going to continue talking to Brad Smith uh, when we return, so stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit NewVisionCPAGroup.com today for more information. Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at Avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, 
press releases, branded content, and consulting. Visit rhinogirlmedia.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Paydar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-790. You may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, and I'm Jody Paydar, and I'm here with Liz Gold, and we're on Let's Get Radical. And I have to give a quick shout out to both Avalara and Intuit, who are our sponsors for today's show. Um, We're here today talking with Brad Smith, who is like the customer experience expert. Guru. (laughs) Guru. (laughs) And he has um, just launched his own consulting practice. So this is like a new world for him. So I'm really excited to kind of get into his financial underwear drawer. And to talk about what it's been like for him to go from like the big corporate world to being a solopreneur and how that shift has happened. And does he like it? Does he not like it? Um, Maybe um, a little bit about how his accounting has been going since he started. So, um, Brad, I'm going to ask you kind of a little bit of personal question. But how do you like doing your own accounting? Um. It's not near as bad as I thought it would be, to be honest with you. Um, The scary truth is I went to Brevard Community College back in Florida before I got my degree at University of Central Florida. And while I was struggling through community college, accounting one was my most hated course. I just, it just killed me. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. And uh, after taking it twice, I finally mastered it and felt much better about the whole thing. Um, I always found it ironic that I ended up helping customers with accounting. Um, so, you know, little life lesson there. Whatever scares you probably is going to come back and be a big part of your life someday, so just deal with it when you can. Um, but the thing, the thing that really haunted me, I, I was really thinking about the fact that um, when you take on a big executive job that's going to help a major company transform itself, you have to live at headquarters. It just is what it is. You can't really do the job remotely. And, you know, right after my sabbatical, I had the opportunity to work for a major television and telco provider uh, based in Philadelphia as their chief customer officer. And the problem I had was that I have uh, three little girls at home. Um, Audrey uh, was in uh, first grade and my twins were in kindergarten. And in six years of life, Audrey has had five zip codes. And I was just tired of having to pack up my family every three to four years to go to the next big job. So... I was determined to figure out a way to stay and then do other things. And so I did a ton of research. One of the best pieces of advice I got was talk to everyone you know about this idea for your small business and get their thoughts and get their opinions and see what they think. And so I exhausted my professional immediate network with this notion of, you know, what if I was to do this thing as a proven practitioner and what would you think about that? The next great piece of advice I got was interview and find yourself a great accountant and a great lawyer and, you know, set the stage for your success. And so after interviewing a bunch of different um, accountants, I found one locally, Robin Massingill, and she's the one that uh, turned me on to QuickBooks Online. And in talking to Robin, she said, you know, all things 
you probably could go with, uh, you know, doing business as sole proprietorship. You could go with an LLC. You could go with an S-Corp. Here's the pros and cons. Here's the cost. And to stand up my business and to uh, bring on a web developer and build a nice website and all that other kind of stuff, it looked to be about a five or $6,000 investment just to turn the lights on. And I was pretty scared because, you know, I've been researching this for five weeks. I had a pretty good idea what I was going to do. I didn't really know what my products were. I didn't really know what my SKUs were. I didn't even know really what my rates would be. And you didn't have a customer to, yet. It didn't have a customer. Yeah, exactly right. And so to spend that kind of money just to have a business online, I kind of, you know, as the expression goes, I gave it to God. And I thought about it over the weekend. And when you know it, the very next Monday is when I had that dinner with the executives from the payroll company. And on Wednesday, that same week, I got a call from a colleague uh, up in Buffalo, New York, who wanted me to come and do some freelance work. And on Thursday, I went down to the courthouse and filed my sole proprietor papership, you know, paperwork for $25. And on Friday, I invoiced my first invoice. Wow. And after that miracle, <laughs> I went to Buffalo the very next Monday, did the gig, and I got paid, guess what, $6,000. Nice. <laughs> and so I kind of took that as a sign that maybe there's something to this thing. And, um, you know, uh, long story short, October, November, December, very fulfilling on all fronts, professional career, life balance goals, being a great dad being smart about trying to run a small business the best way I could, and that's when I went ahead and filed my uh, S-Corp on January 1st, uh, 2016. So that's kind of how I got up and running. No, that's, I mean, that's really a good story because I think there are so many people who are afraid to just start, and I think sometimes it's just, you just got to, like, let it happen and and go with it. And um, Yeah, I mean, that was one of the best pieces of advice. I said, you don't know what you're going to do, just start doing it. Your customers are going to tell you what they want. You're gonna, they're going to tell you what they need, and that's going to define who you are and what your products are. Right, what you're going to sell just and how, how right. your business is going to... Just get started, yeah. Well, right now... Yeah, no, I think, that's, I think that's a really good story because I think too many small business owners are just to get started and they have a technical skill set um, they have the experience they know what you know they know what they have to sell but they just they're kind of afraid to jump so I, I think that's been a, an awesome thing uh, for you to share that you know you did you kind of left that comfort and you just jumped and how um, word of mouth has actually, kept you going right so like you do one good job and then they you get a referral and your network from um from all those years of working in industry has has helped to fulfill you getting more jobs and that i think a lot of times people don't really realize how strong their networks actually are and once you tell people that you're doing this on your own that all of a sudden um people want to do business with you and they want to engage with you so so that's really a good story well, and, it, and it's it's bizarre. I mean, in January, I found myself in Dubai through mm. a strange network connection, and uh, a company is trying to form a common practice for CX practitioners globally and build a platform that people can subscribe to, and they could get real-time and virtual coaching through an online community of proven CX leaders and ask me to come and, you know, 
advisor board and help them bring this company to life. And so that turned into a pet project, and uh, the company Tribe CX uh, should be coming online uh, later in November. But that was all through a third-degree relationship of a friend who knew somebody who knew somebody who suddenly get a phone call out of the blue and, and uh, you know, David Hicks, the, the CEO and founder, says, I know all the people, I know all these people that you know, but yet we've never met. How is this possible? And it's a freakishly small world. And everything you do throughout your entire life builds this tapestry of hopefully, you know, love and happiness and not so much, the, you know, the stain and strife. But um, we all have needs. and We don't know how to get those needs fulfilled, but through our social networks, now a lot of this stuff is possible. So, you know, I can't, I cannot stress strongly enough, the most selfish thing any small business owner could do is live every day by the golden rule because it's going to keep you profitable and whole in good times and bad. Right, right. So now, um, if you were to, like, now that you look back on your last year, right, because you've been in business a little bit over a year almost, right? Um, If there was something that you could do differently, is there something you would do differently as a small business owner? I wish that I, um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm really happy with keeping my business small. I'm not trying to build a big business to grow it. It's more of a lifestyle business for me. Um, and so I'm happy about those things. I wish I would have got my, uh, my website up and running maybe a little bit earlier. And, uh, you know, the, the, the nagging details of, um, you know, what my business card should look like and how I should present myself professionally. A lot of these things I really didn't have the time to think through because I was busy as a freelancer, and I wish I would have put a little bit more thought in it. And that's really why my website, you know, didn't even emerge until probably June. Um, but outside of that, I'm, no, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I've I, I got a great account. I've got a great lawyer. I've got a great financial advisor, all attributes of the business. Um, I locked into some great software that's helping me understand and manage my business and manage my payroll. So, you know, I'm happy about that. Um, I'm happy living where I am. It's a very friendly business climate in Orange County, uh, California, so that's great. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, for the most part, I don't have a lot of regrets, I'd say. So I love that um, you said that you found a good accountant and a good attorney to get started because I think too many small business owners um, forget that in the pre-planning stage and they they just kind of jump in and then they don't, they have more regrets. They're like, oh, why didn't I do, why didn't I figure this out before, you know, why did I, why did I just go with my gut instead of asking a professional? So um, Robin, Robin, my accountant is a godsend and her professional network has connected me to some of the best professional advisors I could ever, ever hope to manage. And I feel like I've got this, like, amazing A-team of retirement planners, financial planners, you know, accountants, webmasters, lawyers. And it was all through her and her network of uh, 20-plus years in Orange County. So, yeah, find a great accountant. I cannot stress it enough. It's a huge deal. That's awesome. So um, we have to take a short break now, but um, when we come back, we will wrap it up with Brad Smith. 
business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at Avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting, visit rhinogirlmedia.com. Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit NewVisionCPAGroup.com today for more information. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Paydar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-790. You may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Get Radical. I'm Liz Gold, and I'm here with Jody Paydar. And our guest today is Brad Smith. He's the founder and president of Vector Business Navigation. And so, Brad, we've been talking about you know your experience building your new consulting business and working with you know large global companies and helping them sort of pivot as they need to, um, you know, in terms of transformation. Um, you know, what what can you give in terms of advice for small businesses who may not have a budget who need to really focus on the customer experience like where should somebody start I mean if you're let's take a product-based company and also a service-based company sure thing so if you're a product-based company you've got to understand why your customers buy your products and how they use those products and how and why they value the use of that product And the only real truthful way that you can do that is to actually talk to your customers persistently. And so if you're starting up a brand new business and your your first 10 customers come in and purchase your product, ask them if they can be used to get feedback and ask them if they'd be willing to answer a simple survey monkey survey or a simple email survey, something very non-invasive. But after they've been using your product for six months or a year, go out and talk to them and ask them, so how's it going? What do you wish it would be different? Do you feel like you got good value for the product? Do you, do you feel 
happy and satisfied while you use the product? Are you, are you proud to use the product? Would you teach how to use this product to your, to your partner or to your kids or to your parents? And really see if there's a intellectual and an emotional connection to this product and the use of this product and if they really, really like it or if they are completely, you know, nonchalant about it. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it doesn't really matter if you built the world's perfect bread slicing knife that's only $9 a, a whack or if you've built a $1,200, you know, iPhone 9. Um, the same is true. The product Mm -hmm. has inherent usefulness, and the only way you know that is to actually talk to your customers and then share that feedback with everyone and demonstrate that you care enough to do that, right? So that would be my big piece of advice um, on a product company. On a service company, the service is uh, pretty interesting, right? Um, It's it's a major part of our global economy now. A lot of industries and small businesses are all up and down the spectrum providing services versus products. Services is more about an emotional relationship, right? It has a social currency. Um, once the service has been provided, it's instantly not there anymore, so it's hard to know if that service experience is still relevant and real and vital. And so what that means is, is that in the activity of providing the service or receiving the service, that's your one and only shot to set that memory and to know that you did a great job or not a great job. And so if you're an accountant like my good friend Robin, you know, all things being equal, I might talk to Robin two or three times a year, and that would be it. Now, I talk to her way more than that, um, but, you know, most people, tax time, a little bit of planning, uh, getting ready for the last quarter. So outside of that, outside of those three touches, how do we know if we are loyal to that service? How do we know if we like that service? So really being focused to make the most of every service interaction, really being focus to make the most and be present when you're in that service interaction and treating people as you treat themselves and living true to your brand and your marketing, your advertising, and then infusing every one of your customer facing employees with that same belief system. It's crucial. And if, Mm. well, when a bad service experience occurs, because it's inevitable and there's no stopping it, be quick to acknowledge it and be quick to recover from it. Right. Humans expect humans to make mistakes but they also expect them to clean up the mess they made. And so if you trip over yourself and you do something silly or wrong, do the right thing. And doing the right thing will set such a positive emotion downstream that even though it might be another seven months before you get to talk to that person, it's still going to be very, very positively memorable, and they're going to want to stick to you as their service provider. Can you give an example of a company that may have gotten some bad uh, press or, you know, made some big, big customer mistake, but then turned it around with the way they um, handled it? Um, Sony TVs uh, six years ago uh, had a bad set of TVs and um, they tried to fix them and they couldn't. It was a projection lamp TV. Do you remember those crazy things? And the production mm-hmm. lamps uh, would burn out, and ultimately the lens would, would fuse and it would change the color of your TV. I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't realize it was a thing. And uh, I went online and I tried to troubleshoot this problem. And uh, I came across a uh, Answers.com and a tech bid for my business and said, okay, uh, I, I think I can troubleshoot this answer. Are you willing to pay uh, $18 for the answer, and uh, you only pay if you're 
100% satisfied with the answer. I said, yeah, sure, I can do that. 18 bucks sounds great. So I give the guy online all my details, and he says, okay, I've got good news and bad news. Um, you, your color engine is dead, and I can email you a PDF set of instructions to rebuild one from spare parts. You could buy one online, and it's going to cost you about $350. But Sony acknowledges that this is a problem, and if you use this code and call this number and explain your situation, I'm sure they're going to give you an amazing discount on a new TV. It's okay, thanks. Uh, I'll let you know. So I called the number, and Sony gave me, uh, you know, a 40-inch uh, brand-new top-of-the-line plasma screen TV, uh, and this is, you know, six years ago, and so I got this TV for $200, shipping included. Mm-hmm. Unheard of. Completely unheard mm-hmm. of, right? But they were so hurt, and they knew what their brand had done to so many different consumers, and they knew that they, their marquee brand identity is the top-of-the-line electronic. But that service experience has always impressed me, that Sony did, and what equally impressed me was the guy who helped me find the answer, and I paid him his $18 and then gave him a $20 tip. <laughs> mm-hmm. So do you always buy Sony TVs now? Uh, shockingly, that's what I have in my house everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a memorable experience for you. That's a great. That's awesome. So, Brad, you know, this has been so great. We really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your expertise. I learned a lot. What about you, Jody? Oh, totally. And um, I, I guess my last question for Brad, though, is like, do you think that everyone expects a much better experience than they used to? Like, it's just, it, it's a given now? I think two things. I, I really do. I think, number one, your competition isn't the guy down the street. Okay, it's every waking moment in a 2016 digital consumer's life that's filled with super easy, super awesome, super convenient experiences. So there is a table stick that you've got to rise to. You know, my my iPhone can update itself overnight. Why do I have to deal with software updates, right? Um, I can change my email address anytime I want with any vendor I want. But why is it for this company I have to phone in and wait two days for, you know, so any nonsensical experience in 2016 has to be normalized and resolved because that's the table stakes. But on the other side of the coin, every company gets to set the expectation. So be careful about the expectations you set. You know, one of the most beloved brands year over year in uh, Forrester's brand customer experience index, top brand beats Apple is Costco. And you walk into Costco, and it's chaos, and there's pallets everywhere, and there's those big carts that always ram me in the shins, and there's kids hanging off of shopping carts like a bunch of monkeys, and there's free food everywhere. But you walk in, and you know, I'm going to buy peanut butter in a massive bin. I'm going to save heaps of money on a bunch of stuff I may or may not need, and I'm not going to get any bags to carry my stuff out of the store. I'm going to have to put it in boxes. <laughs> but you know the expectation. expectation. Pretty brutal expectation, but they deliver that expectation perfectly. Right, right. No, this has been an awesome show. I am so glad that you were able to join us today. And if um, our listeners want to reach out to you, how can they find you? You can go to uh, vectorbnbravonovember.com, which is my website. 
or you could send me an email to brad at vectorbeyond.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. And um, stay tuned for our next show. Thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Get Radical. Please join Liz Gold and Jody Paydar again next Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, it's time for you to get radical. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.